Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, if you were with us last week, you know we kicked off a new series called Sink or Stand. And this series is anchored right in the middle of Matthew's gospel in chapters 14 and 15, where we see Jesus growing the faith of his disciples by reminding them who he is. And the way Jesus grows their faith is really a kind of a peculiar way. It's almost as if he takes the disciples and he throws them out of the boat into situations, not where they will, will, will sink or swim, but situations where he's inviting them to stand, to do what would otherwise be impossible as they trust in him. Last week, we kicked off that series by looking at the feeding of the 5,000, and today we're going to continue it by looking at Jesus walking on the water from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. But before we look at those verses, I want to just share with you uh, some thoughts around a question, and that question is this. Have your circumstances ever isolated you? Have the circumstances, the situation, the things that you're dealing with, have they ever isolated you, isolated you from others? Think about this. You have a a death in your family. Somebody who's close to you dies, and suddenly, even though there's people around, you feel like nobody understands exactly what you're going through. Or an, an illness, a diagnosis. You're dealing with the treatment, and even though people might even be showing up, maybe they're around, maybe they're not, maybe they're bringing you meals, but you still feel like, I feel so alone in the midst of this pain, or relationship that falls apart, the divorce papers were handed, the court proceedings were coming, and you just wonder, or maybe it's not quite that dramatic, maybe it's just you're in a new town for the first time, trying to figure out life, and and you just feel a little bit alone right now? Have your circumstances ever isolated you? I I can think of a couple of times in my life where circumstances, uh, I felt isolated. A number of years ago, my wife had some serious health problems, and I remember going to and from the hospital, feeling just the the pain and the the struggle of being alone. And even though I had friends that were sending me text messages and phone calls and all those kinds of things, I still felt a little bit alone in the midst of that. Some of you might be able to relate to those feelings. Not only that, but I, I think about when I was a freshman at the University of Oklahoma, Many, many ages ago, I was a freshman at OU, but I remember coming to OU and I remember sitting outside the dorms one night, probably in late August or early September, just feeling so alone and wondering where this amazing community that I longed for was going to come from. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but it's possible for our circumstances to isolate us. And when our circumstances begin to isolate us, we, we not only sometimes will look to others, but also that's an opportunity for us to pray. And so many times we'll pray. But let me ask you this. When you have felt isolated by your circumstances and you have hit your knees in prayer, do you immediately get relief? Or are there times when you pray in your isolation and you feel like those prayers are bouncing off the top of your car or bouncing off the top of that ho- hospital room or or your, your home, or wherever it is, and you feel like there's just no connection. Friends, if that's the case, and you, you feel that kind of isolation, and you feel alone, and you wonder if God's even abandoned you, that is not a feeling that is unique to you. It's something that many of us have experienced. And it's not even unique to our time and age. It's something that goes all the way back uh, thousands of years ago. 
I think about the, the prophet Jeremiah who experienced a number of challenging circumstances in his life and the mission that God had called him to and he experienced all these challenges. Jeremiah actually prays to God in Jeremiah 15 and says, why then does my suffering continue, God? Why is my wound so incurable? God, your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Jeremiah's looking around saying, God, your, your help to me, your presence with me seems temperamental. Just like it snows some years in the mountains and other years it doesn't, God, it seems like you're seasonal and it seems like you're not present right now. Maybe you can relate to Jeremiah. Maybe you can relate to some portion of feeling isolated in your circumstances. Well, friends, if you have ever experienced that in the past or if you are getting ready to experience it in your future, there is truth inside of the passage we're going to look at today that is extremely encouraging for us. Because in the midst of Jesus walking on the water, we see God's presence amidst a people who felt isolated in their circumstances. And in his power, they were able to overcome. And we see hope for us in the midst of this as well. So our plan for today is going to be to read Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, and look at this story of Jesus walking on the water. And then we're going to back up and, and really unpack it a little more so that we might find some encouragement today as we live out our lives, at times feeling as if we're all alone. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, and it goes this way. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said to him, Come. And Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, in these verses today, we're going to find encouragement for us in four movements. The first thing that I think we need to see is this. Jesus knows. In the midst of our isolation, in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our struggle, we need to remember that Jesus knows. And we see this come very clear inside of this passage, but it's helpful for us to maybe understand the context of what was going on here. See, verse 22 begins, and it says, that immediately Jesus made the disciples get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. Now, what was happening here? Well, if you're with us last week, you know that Jesus had just fed the 5,000, 5,000 men, 
total maybe 10 to 20,000 people. This massive group of people was gathered there on the shoreline just outside the city of Bethsaida, and Jesus had performed this miracle and through the disciples had fed the masses. Now, once that miracle has happened, Jesus does a very peculiar thing. He tells the disciples to leave. Now, I'm guessing that advice, that direction, was something that the disciples were not really excited about. I mean, you can imagine, they just saw this amazing miracle happen, and they're ready to to celebrate. They're ready to high-five each other and high-five the crowd. They were expecting Jesus to say, okay, now the 12, you guys line up right here. We're going to form a receiving line so that 20,000 people can walk by and shake our hand and slap our back and tell us how amazing we are. The disciples are fired up. They're excited, and yet Jesus comes to them and says, hey, guys, guess what? I want you to leave, and I want you to leave right now. They would have been like, wait, wait, what? Leave? I mean, it's the good part now, right? Jesus, we're going to get to celebrate a little bit. And he goes, no, it's time for you to go. And so they go down to the water, and they get in the boat. Now, the question is, why did Jesus send them away? In John's parallel passage of this story, we find out that reason. And in John chapter 6 and verse 15, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. And so Jesus withdrew by the mountain to the mountain by himself. In other words, Jesus was like, hey, the crowd is so excited that they just were fed that they're going to take me and push their agenda forward and make me the king today. But Jesus was like, that is the same thing I heard Satan tell me when I was tempted in the wilderness years ago. They want to offer me the throne without the cross. And Jesus is like, I've come for something much greater than just a political rule. I've come to offer salvation to all the people. And so Jesus decides that this meeting needs to be, you know, adjourned. But he also understood that the disciples probably couldn't handle that kind of temptation. He understood that, you know what, if, if these people begin to claim and clamor for Jesus to be king, the disciples might be caught up in that enthusiasm. And so Jesus wisely sends the disciples away from that temptation while he himself goes back to dismiss the crowd. See the situation? Well, Jesus then tells the disciples to go to the other side. If you look at this map of the Sea of Galilee, on the upper right-hand side, you'll notice there's a blue star there. That was roughly the location where the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happened, just outside the city of Bethsaida. Jesus sends them to the boat, and he says, I want you to head on towards Bethsaida, and if I haven't caught up with you by Bethsaida, I want you to keep going on to Capernaum, and if I haven't caught up with you by Capernaum, then keep going to Gennesaret, and eventually I'll get there. Eventually, we'll be reunited. And so the disciples begin to go. Now, while they're going, this amazing thing happens, and that a storm brews up on top of the water of the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples find themselves out there straining at the oars. The prevailing wind was against them, and their boat was being beaten about so that they are effectively on a boat treadmill at this point. They're rowing, and they're going no place, and they are stuck in the middle of the lake. Now, in the midst of all of that, where is Jesus? Well, Jesus, it says, is up on the mountain praying. Now, this is significant, because when we hear that, we think he's on the mountain. Does that mean he, like, went miles away to some mountains? No, he, he just went up on the hillside surrounding the Sea of Galilee. Now, what could you do from a hillside on the Sea of Galilee? You could see what was on the water. Jesus is up there on the hillside watching his friends in the boat. 
And what's he doing? He's praying for them. Now, let's just think for a moment about what the disciples might have been feeling out there on the water. What were they going through? Well, the first thing that maybe they were feeling was a little bit confused. They might have been like, hey, why are we out here? We want to be with Jesus. Why did he send us away? They would have not understood the plan of what was going on. Not only that, but they would have been tired. This is something that goes on all night. So after their big day, after carrying those baskets, after feeding the 5,000, after coming back from their mission trip, after learning that John the Baptist had been killed and dealing with all the emotion of that, now they're on the boat all night straining against the wind and the waves. They were fatigued. Not only would they have been confused and fatigued, but they also probably felt pretty vulnerable and afraid. Friends, people died on that lake. When these storms would come up and the the wind and the waves, they had friends probably that didn't come back from similar excursions. And so they would have felt pretty pretty vulnerable in those moments. They would have been afraid of what was going to happen. And, And not only that, but no doubt they felt isolated. They were surrounded by water in the darkness of night thinking that nobody was aware of their situation or their circumstance. That's what they would have been feeling. But what did they not see? In the midst of their feelings of isolation, what were they missing? What they were missing was what they didn't know was that Jesus was on the hillside watching them and praying for them. And friends, in in this picture, in this moment, we see this incredible image of the life that you and I live inside of the church time, this, this era in which we live. Because we too feel isolated by our circumstances, beaten about by the waves, wondering where God is, feeling as though our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And we think that he's not there, he's not aware, he doesn't know. But where is he? He's on high, looking down over us. And what's he doing? He's praying for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says this way, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Just as Jesus was praying for the disciples on the Sea of Galilee that night, so Jesus is in heaven right now looking down upon us, feeling like we're alone and isolated, and he is praying for us. Now, friends, knowing that reality ought to change entirely how we look at the things that we experience and go through. Because just like the disciples, we, we have a temptation to feel this way, right? We were confused. Lord, why are you doing it this way? This is not the way that I want you to do it. Why am I, why am I here? Why am I there? Why am I going through this? Why has this diagnosis come our way? Why has this person walked out of my life when I feel like I so need them? We go through all of those pains and all of those challenges, and we feel like we're alone. We feel confused because we don't have the full picture, the full understanding of what God is up to, even in the midst of challenging and difficult circumstances. So we can be tired, straining all night against the things that are going on around us, feeling like we can't go anymore, not knowing that Jesus is about to be with us. So we can feel vulnerable and afraid. We can feel isolated and alone. We need to remember that Jesus is looking down upon us. He knows what is going on. He's interceding for us. Friends, this is incredible encouragement to you and I today. But here's the thing. 
The passage continues. It doesn't just let us know that Jesus knows. It keeps going to let us know that Jesus goes, right? Jesus came out to the disciples on the water. Now, now here's the thing. We are, we are too familiar with this passage because when we read this, we, we read it and we go, well, of course Jesus walked on the water. That's what Jesus does. He just walks on water because we're familiar with the story. But what's fascinating to me is that those who were spending all of their time with Jesus have no category for the fact that Jesus would come walking on the water to them because they had never seen it before. They, they had no idea this was coming. They're so surprised that when Jesus comes down from that mountain and goes walking out upon the waves, they don't go, oh, there's Jesus, because the category in their head trips, who do I know that can walk on water? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, there he is. It it doesn't happen that way. Instead, they look out and they go, it's a ghost. Now, let me translate that for you. It's not, oh, yay, there's a ghost. It's... Not only is my situation already bad, but now I've got to deal with a ghost on the middle of the water too. I mean, they're terrified in this moment. There, there's no category, and yet Jesus comes walking to them upon the water. Now, here's the question. What was Jesus doing? What was he doing? Walking to them upon the water. Is he getting ready to give them a tutorial? just to let them know this is how followers of me will get around this world. They're going to begin walking on water. I don't think that's the case, right? There's no record that Jesus ever did this again, and there's no record that the followers of Christ ever saw this as their new mode of transportation. When the disciples went on missionary journeys and took the gospel to the ends of the earth, including crossing the Mediterranean Sea, Paul never said, you know what? I need to get to Rome. I think I better get started walking across the water. Never said that. They understood that this was a one-off miracle demonstrated by Jesus to show something very specific. And this is what Jesus was saying. Hey, you know that, that stuff around you, the water, the wind, and the waves that you think is isolating you and making you afraid and vulnerable? Guess what? The Son of God is powerful enough and loves us enough to come running out to us on top of those problems. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from God. That's the point of the story. That's the point of this miracle. See, this is a truth that is echoed inside of Scripture a number of times. We think about Romans chapter 8. I read a verse from it earlier, and I would invite you, if you got an opportunity later on today, to maybe read all of Romans 8, wonderful chapter of Scripture. But Romans 8, 31 through 38 concludes with this incredible truth. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This reminds me of what Jesus said when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. How did he conclude that? He said, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Friends, those verses are are just statements, right? 
They're, they're, they're just statements that were given by God to the church, and they are meaningful statements. But here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus didn't just give a statement. He actually showed up in a way that demonstrated, and, in, and we should never forget it, that there is nothing that can separate us from our God. Whatever we think is isolating us, whatever we think is separating us, whatever we think is a pain that no one else understands, Jesus says, watch me walk to you on top of it. Now, what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us? Well, it looks like for us today a number of different things. Realize if you trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Holy Spirit has come to reside within your life. A reminder that God is with you right now in the midst of the storm, whatever it is. Think about what we call this place. You know, we didn't make it up. Jesus calls his church the body of Christ. So that when a friend, a loved one, a small group comes around you in the midst of your struggle, it's a reminder that Jesus knows what's going on and has come to your aid to pray for you, to care for you, and to love you. Friends, this is the truth of this moment, and it continues to play out among God's people today. Jesus knows, and Jesus goes. What we see as the passage continues is a couple of things about us. What do we do in response to that? One of the things that we do is we walk. We walk. And we see this in our, our friend Peter. Now, let's be honest. We like to give Peter a hard time, don't we? I mean, we like to kind of, you know, laugh at him, you know, oh, look at that, the guy named Rock is going to try to walk on the water. Ha, 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 you know, what's he doing? He's sinking in the water, all these things. But this moment where, where Jesus shows up and Peter looks out and sees him, Peter has this moment where he's like, I would rather be with Jesus and on top of the water than in the boat alone. And so with incredible faith, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, just speak the word and I'm going to crawl over the side of this boat and I'm going to come running to you on the water. And so Jesus gives him the command and says, okay, Peter, then come. And so Peter, Peter comes. And as long as Peter is looking upon Christ, he's, he's standing on top of the water. But eventually Peter begins to realize, what am I doing? And he gets to look around at the waves and feel the wind, and he gets nervous and scared, and he takes his eyes off of Christ, and, and he sinks. And what does Jesus do then? Does he put his hand on top of Peter's head and push him under and go, I'm done with you. Andrew, come on, you're my new guy. Oh, what does he do? He reaches down, and he grabs him, and he pulls him up. And he reminds him of the significance of Now, friends, I mentioned earlier that this encounter was not intended to teach his disciples a new way of getting around water. It wasn't to invite them to walk on top of it instead of take boats. It's not about that. But in this moment, we see a very powerful thing, and that is Jesus teaching us what he can do through us is greater than anything we could imagine on our own. Now, in this story, very clearly, Jesus commands Peter to come out on the water. He didn't just test God or tempt God in some way. Jesus said, come, and so Peter, despite his other experience, which would tell him, don't get out of the middle of the boat in the middle of the storm, Peter, Peter does that. 
And God is able to do this amazing thing by keeping him on top of the water. See, we will not have that same command. That very specific command that was given to Peter has not been given to you or me. Regardless of what we might hope, the application of this is not let's all go to Thunderbird this afternoon and walk on the lake. The point of this story, though, is this. When Jesus says, come out on the water, go for it in faith. And there are things that we will go through where Jesus has invited us out onto waves that we feel like would swamp us otherwise, but he has said we can stand in the midst of them. What are some of those things? One is contentment, even in the midst of poverty. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 talk about how the Apostle Paul was able to have a contentment even when he didn't have all that he needed. Contentment even in want because Christ would fill him up. Friends, how do, how do you stand in the midst of that kind of loss or challenge? Well, it's not in your own strength, but in Christ it's possible to stand upon that water. How about peace? even when we're going through difficult circumstances. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, talk about how we can exchange our anxiety for the peace of God. How does that happen? It's not by our own ability to generate something. It's by God allowing us to stand on top of waves that would otherwise swamp us. How about hope, even in a hopeless world? I don't know what news station you watch, but there's plenty of things out there that would discourage us from believing that there is hope to be found anywhere. And yet, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, talk about how we can have a hope that abounds. And it's found not in us, but it's found as we look to him. We can stand upon those waves. How about forgiving others, even who have wronged us? How do you stand in that situation? It's like, how do I do that? Jesus says in this, the Lord's Prayer, he invites us to forgive others even as, as, as he has forgiven us. How do we do that? Well, it's by stepping out on the water. See, we, we want to take this passage and think, Lord, if, if you ask me to walk on Lake Thunderbird, I want to do it. I want to, that'd be really cool. That'd be really fun. That's, that's not what this passage is about. The things he has called us to are equally impossible for us in our own strength. And yet with our eyes fixed upon him, he is able to do things in and through us that are otherwise impossible. How do we overcome that addiction? We we keep going with many, many other passages of Scripture here. They're reminders of what he has clearly called us to. If he's called us to it, we can walk in those directions. Jesus knows and he goes, we walk. Lastly, and don't miss this, we worship. This story climaxes not in Jesus just walking around and not even in Peter walking on the water. The pinnacle of this story, when the symbol is hit, the triumphant moment of this story is when Jesus gets in the boat and the disciples worship him. Now, why did they worship him in this moment? Well, think about what they had just gone through. This was a day full of miracles. Back at the beginning of chapter 14, we we saw that when Jesus got off the boat at Bethsaida, he began the day by healing a bunch of different people who were sick and who were ill. 
And then after that, he, he feeds the 5,000 men plus the women and the children and all of that that, that, that went on there. And then, and then after that, Jesus comes walking on top of the water. And then Peter walks on top of the water. And then when they get in the boat, Matthew's story that we read earlier lets us know that when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. This was another miracle that they saw happen. And then not only that, but in John's gospel, he lets us know that when they, he got in the water and the wind stopped, that the boat just ended up in their location. It's like, beam me up, Scotty. They'd been struggling out in the middle of the water, suddenly there at their location at Gennesaret as soon as he got in the boat. These are all miracles that the disciples witnessed. And when they saw all of these things happen, they just are overwhelmed. And they, they say for the very first time in Matthew's gospel, they say, Jesus, you are the Son of God. They never uttered that phrase inside of Matthew's gospel yet. They, they do so here. Why? It's a significant moment. They realize his identity who he is. And when they realize that identity and they call him the son of God, what do they do next? They drop to their knees and they begin to worship him. They make much of him. They lift his name up. They begin to follow him, reorganize all those things that happen in that moment because they recognize who he is. Now, friends, here is what we need to remember in light of all of that. Who is it that knows everything that you're going through? Honestly, it's no one even in this room, but God knows, and only God knows all of what you're going through, on the outside and on the inside. And not only does he know, but who is the one who is able to come to you, to be with you, to encourage you in a way that is tailor-made for your soul? It's no just one of us, but it's, it's God working through the body and through the spirit to come around you and near you in the midst of this? And who is it that is able to empower you to do what would otherwise be impossible, to forgive when you have been wronged, to have hope even in a hopeless world? Friends, the only one who fits that description is God himself. And so they worshiped him. And the question for you and me is, will we worship him as well? Will we take this moment in light of this scripture to, to lift up the name of Christ, to, to, to worship him, to, to declare, you are my God and I will follow you wherever I go? Will we, will we take the opportunity in light of what we've seen in the scripture today to do that, or will we take our eyes off of what is happening, what we're reminded of here, and look at the, the challenges of our world and begin to sink? Friends, we've been given an opportunity today to remember the divine identity of Jesus Christ, to worship him, and to follow him out upon the waves. Will you go? Sometimes we don't go because we think, you know what, I don't, I don't know that I want to trust God until I've got all of my act together. But remember, when we trust him a little bit and we begin to fall, what does he do? He doesn't push us under, he pulls us up and gives us another opportunity to relate and to know him. Will you trust Christ today? Will you follow him over the side of the boat on the waves that you're dealing with? Will you feel his presence?
when you otherwise would be, feel some isolation, the opportunity is there. He's invited us to come. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you today, to, to lift up your name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we find inside of it. Father, thank you that you care for our souls. Though we feel isolated and alone, you care for us. And you come to us. And you provide for us. And you invite us to do what is otherwise impossible. Father, may we find our hope and our all in all in you. We turn our eyes upon you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name.